welcome back to another episode of Season 2 of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. The podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space, bringing you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, their career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. For Season 2 of the podcast, you'll probably know by now, we've decided to focus purely on the inspiring female technology leaders in the space, exploring their journeys to date and understanding more about what they love about technology and insurance, discussing their thoughts on how we can get more talented females into the sector and a whole load more. In this episode, I bring you Praveena Ladva, Group Chief Digital and Technology Officer at Swiss Re. Praveena is undoubtedly one of the most respected technology leaders in the insurance sector right now, and her interview with me didn't disappoint. We got into some detail around her views on diversity in the insurance sector and wider technology space, discussed what's on her agenda right now at Swiss Re, and had a deep dive into her route into insurance through the retail banking and wealth management sectors. Praveena is a guest I've been trying to get on the podcast for a while now, so it was great to finally have a chance to chat with her in some more detail, and I enjoyed every minute of it. She is a hugely successful leader and has achieved a huge amount across multiple sectors throughout her career so far. So without further delay, let's get behind the desk with Praveena Lampa. Praveena, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. And you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Really good. And um, thanks so much for um, for taking some time out to uh, to have a chat to me. It would be great to give the listeners just a, a quick overview on on who you are, what you do at the moment, and uh, and uh, what you're all about. So, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me onto this podcast. As you say, my name's Praveena Ladva. I'm the Group Chief Digital and Technology Officer for Swiss Re, which is one of the world's largest reinsurance companies. So my remit is a pretty much a global remit, but the company has a real purpose. So our purpose is about making the world more resilient. So, you know, everything that I do is to how do we make technology enable our purpose and our business goals? Great. I always like to go right back to the start. I'm sure there'll be loads of stuff we talk about with, uh, with Swiss Re and your role there at the moment. Um, I was doing a bit of research before this. I can see that you've you've done some long stints at, at a few different businesses. So what if we go right back to, to when you first got into technology, what, where, where was that kind of, did that start really young at school or did that, uh, did that kind of evolve? How, how did you get into technology right from the off? Yeah, no, it absolutely evolved. And actually, a lot of people are, are surprised to hear that my background is actually a history graduate. Oh, so wow. often the question I get asked is, how did you end up in the job that you're in if you, <laughs> if, you if your qualifications had nothing to do with what you do now? And I think the interesting thing is, you know, I probably, there was a juxtaposition probably at my time at Barclays where I drove a lot of change. And, you know, we all know from our own personal experiences that change in any business or even in our personal lives has become intrinsically linked with technology. Mm. So I look at technology as always an enabler or an accelerator as to what we do. And therefore, if I was to change something, whether it was to improve the customer experience or to make our operations more efficient or to look at business models, the underlying accelerator or scaler is technology, which is why I do what I do today. So what was your first role then? What was it? How did it go? Did you, did you, did you think about doing anything to do with history or related when you, when you left no, university? No. What, did, what, did, what did it look like? What was no, your no, first absolutely. job, I guess, after that? Bank manager is probably the best way to describe it. So right. I, I am trained to be a retail bank manager where I ran a branch 
and was a financial services advisor. So I sold life insurance, pensions and mortgages. And actually, if you think about anybody who runs a, a unit or a shop, you have all facets within that, which includes everything from leadership, people management, interaction with customers, uh, products. So I think it's probably quite a fair all-round grounding into when where I then um, sort of ended up later on in my career. So what did the, what did that evolution look like then from from kind of doing the bank manager type stuff to evolving into change and technology? Because you tend to see that route fairly often that you you either go from that kind of coder type route into CTO, CIO, or or it's more of a delivery type of route. It sounds like you came from the latter. Yeah. But how did that how yeah. did that evolve from into that? You're right. It's quite a common train. And if anybody who's worked in what I call the front line in any kind of customer service, sales, marketing, direct interaction with the day to day, one of the things we all have in common is that we often complain about the people who sit in head offices and have not that day to day interaction with the customer. So I was used to be one of these people, young and naive, and thought, you know, these people at head office really don't know what it's like working in the front line. <laughs> so someone actually said to me, well, why don't you go to head office then and try and help? And so that's what I did. You know, having come from a real customer market perspective, then came into a head office environment in one of my previous organizations where I then helped shape how we did things that were, you know, customer centric, easy for our frontline colleagues to then engage on. And then if you look at that from a very early stage, it all centered around change um, and engagement, whether it was change around what products, how we sold them, the systems we used, or how we navigated new opportunities. Yeah. And so those first roles, that was uh, you, you had a long stint from um, looking at your LinkedIn, which is at Abbey National, if, I, if, uh, if, if my research mm-hmm. is correct. Um, and, and so did that just evolve then into the typical project program management types of roles that, that were business yeah. and technology focused? Or was there a, 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 a kind of bias either way? Yeah, I think this is then probably my last two organisations where I had, a, had, you know, I was lucky enough to experience lots of business areas. So it didn't naturally evolve into sort of change in project management, but it probably was more of a, a full 360 grounding. So I ran big uh, call centers. I worked on M&A activities. I worked on governance and risk activities. So what I then had is not only a fr- an understanding of the front line, but all the things that go into making that front line possible. So I worked in many different areas and often led quite big operational centers, which were again were customer facing. I guess then after that, I narrowed down into the what I would call large-scale transformation, which was enabled by digitization. So then a lot of the things I was leading is, yes, there would be a business as usual element of any role, but it was always about what would accelerate and take us to the next level. So, so uh, that you know, I think your first kind of movement into technology leadership was that was that is it right that was at Barclay Card at in, in your first yeah yes. yeah yeah in the first kind of yeah. CIO role. So, you I mean yeah. I think a lot of the listeners that we we have on the podcast are people that are aspiring to get to that point. You, you've obviously mm-hmm. done it through an evolution at the same company rather than moving. So, talk talk mm-hmm. us through how how that came about and 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 what that journey was like. You're right. You either you can come through many different routes. You come through the business route, which is what I did, or you can come through a what I call the expert technology route. Mm. I think the main thing is a lot of people, and it's really hard these days because some colleagues are very fixated on this is the role I want, this is the area I want to be in. 
But a lot of people really don't want to know right from the beginning about what they want to do when they grow up. I still call it, what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> and what I think about is, think about the content. Think about what you enjoy. And in my experience, what I know what I enjoy is change and growth and making something better than it was. So the first thing is, and it's where you get your energy from. And what I realized is, it, for me, it was less important about the job title or the grade, but it was, where can I make a difference? And in the latter years, clearly that was an evolution of technology, people, process, and making it into one holistic bundle of what that could do. So a lot of it is about having a full understanding of the business that you're working in. A lot of it is around educating yourself and continually learning around what's new, but also finding what your passion is. Mm. Yeah, it's in- it's interesting. I've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast now, and um, the 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 variety of backgrounds is is uh, is is one of the things that stands out to me the most. Um, that, that, from mm. everyone from, like you say, deep technologists um, that have evolved through that kind of typical architecture CTO type of route, but mm-hmm. even within that, there's a lot of variety. So, what what do you think when when you um, when you first took that step into a, a kind of a CIO route role? Was it was that was that an, an, a natural kind of next step, or was it quite a big one? I mean, and how did how yeah, did you no, find that? Yeah, it was a natural step because where I found my juxtaposition was the conduit between the deep technologists and the commercial colleagues. Because often mm. what I find is, you know, I know that for the magic to really happen, you need to bring those organizations closer and closer together. And where I played a role is having understood the commercial context, having understood the technology context and what that could enable us is to bring it together. But it's all about having the right conversations and knowing that what skill sets different people bring and how you can bring them together to achieve a common objective, as opposed to people thinking, I'm only tech, I only do code or architecture, I'm only do business, I only do sales. It's more about the conversation between them. And for me, that's what I enjoyed. So it's almost like being that translation layer. So both parties found meaning in what they were trying to do. But what I find these days now is that line between tech, what we traditionally used to call tech and business, is hugely blurred, which I think is a fantastic thing, because I think that makes it easier to do things. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, your, your, um, when, again, when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, that um, that one of the actual fairly common themes of the the most successful people I've spoken to so far is that variety and and therefore being yeah. able to understand the business as well as the technology and being able and have seen lots of areas. So, I mean, I, I always like to get some advice to people, but it, would that be a piece of advice you would give, like as in do different jobs? I mean, it's, it seems like the organizing, organizations you were in, you, do, you did quite a few different roles within that organization, yeah. so probably knew the business relatively well by the time you got to the bigger job. Yeah, absolutely. I think having a, a grounding on the, the purpose, you know, it's like like if you were working, it's often easier if people look at FMCG and manufacturing. You know, if you look at some of the biggest manufacturing where the product is really tangible, I've always been in financial services, but sometimes mm. people believe in a product or, it's, you know, and they see it's tangible. And you see the passion that they have and they understand everything there is to know about it. And you need to look at it from different perspectives. So I think having a grounding in an organization, understanding the outcome and the impact 
and then working back from that. And I think not forgetting, often people think about technology as that that's the thing. Actually, it's the combination of the technology together with the people, together with working together. That's where I say the magic really happens. It's not just one or the other. Mm. So so if we move on to kind of where your, your kind of move to, to Swiss Re, you've been there for five years or so now. Um, so you went from a CIO role into a slightly different role with regards to job title. I don't know what the actual con- context of that, that position yeah. is. But what, what made you join Swiss Re? Obviously, that's your first role into insurance. Um, and, and, and talk to us a little bit about what that evolution has been like there over the, the last five years or so. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, went in as the chief technology and operations officer for one of the divisions. And I, and I, you know, I'm trying to, at even the moment, we are building a wide and diverse talent base. And a lot of people don't look at an insurance company as somewhere they can go and do great tech. Mm. So when I first looked at the opportunity, what I realized is that, first of all, it was a purpose-driven organization. So for me, it's all right, what is it that we're trying to achieve? What are we trying to do? Um, and that really resonated with me. No one wakes up in the morning going, yay, let's go and get some insurance. But what people do need is they need that protection. And if you think mm-hmm. about, you know, the most recent experiences around, whether it's around COVID and, you know, over the weekend, we've had lots of hurricanes and floods. It's in that time of need that our organization like ours comes into its own. So for me, there was a real purpose around what I was joining. Then I looked at it more from an industry perspective. And I see a huge opportunity for transformation and change. Because sometimes if you look at the longevity of a, an insurance policy, it's much, much longer than when you go and transact in your bank. Therefore, mm-hmm. certain things take longer to embed. And looking externally around what would it do to move to a cloud architecture? What could you do with the great data that we have available? I just saw a huge opportunity to make a difference. So that's what I loved about it. And then the third thing, and probably the most important thing to me is the culture. You know, really inclusive, wanting to get things done, uh, very thoughtful. So it was a combination of the ability to make an impact and drive for a difference that had a greater purpose. Clearly, insurance is, and it still is even after five years, and reinsurance, a very new topic for me. You know, some of my colleagues have been here like 20 plus years and incredibly bright bunch of people. So I am still learning. But what I guess what I can do is offer the technology angle of it and bring an outside in perspective. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because um, uh, you put, I, I've had uh, Bill Gay on the podcast, who I, I'm sure yeah. you know from, from Swiss Re, and I think she, uh, her first role in insurance was uh, IptoQ. And, um, yeah, and she she, said yeah I hired Bill Gay to IptoQ. She was my CTO. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. So, yeah, you mean yeah. she said very similar things. And uh, and what what's that been like as a learner? You mean, what, what because... I think insurance historically, probably, I think it's probably changing. It uh, has has generally been fairly incestuous, and people have, uh, have stayed in the sector. Uh, I think there's definitely more kind of openness to if different industry sectors, especially around digital and stuff like that. But what what did you find when you moved from kind of wider FS to to insurance? What were the what were the challenges for you? Was was it drastically different, similar, or how did you find it? Um, interestingly, the topics are all the same. If you look right. at all the FS organizations, it's all about customer or client centricity. It's about how do you make your best use of the architecture? How do you become more efficient? How do you increase the speed to market? So the underlying topics are the same, but the application of them vary hugely. So my challenge was more around how do we increase the pace and the intensity of the delivery of what we're doing? 
but do it in a thoughtful way, which would resonate with the, my colleagues and be able to all of us move in the same direction at a faster pace. But yeah, interestingly, you know, when I talk to my peers in the insurance industry, the topics, you know, no surprise to everybody, everybody's having the same challenges. Mm. And now, you know, the one challenge that we're all facing is, you know, upskilling our own talent into the new ways of working and with the new technologies, but also increasing an, our talent um, from external because everybody wants the same talent pools globally. Mm. Is that, I was going to ask actually, what you mean, what's the kind of big thing on your agenda at the moment? But is, is that one of the big challenges for you currently? I mean, I think that there's everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is. I mean, it, yeah. And um, I think everybody, you know, so everybody's doing migrations to the cloud. So that's a thing. Security is another one, which is, you know, hot, hot property, as I would say right now. And, you know, we look at our footprint being a global company. We look at it from a global perspective. And I think it was probably about March, April this year. Yeah, it's probably about April this year. You know, we have a big center in Bangalore. We have a big center in Bratislava. And we've opened another one in Hyderabad, purely to help us with our growth objectives and have access to the, the diversity of talent. We're also hiring in Manchester, Madrid, and in Hoofdorf. So very much around making the way we work accessible and available to more global talent but also being very flexible. You know, we have a policy around own the way you work, which is, you know, how do you, especially in a post-COVID, we used to have it pre-COVID, but even a post-COVID world, that has become even more important. Yeah, and is that is that kind of multi-location strategy purely to try and to, yeah. to, to dig into the the, uh, the the talent pools that are, that exist in those areas to, and to spread that out? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, it's um, from a broader perspective, it makes sense for a large organization to have a multi-site operation from an operational resilience perspective. So yes, it's access, accessibility to talent, the right talent, and also to co-locate with our commercial colleagues as well. Because going back to what I first described, I think the greater you can bring the technology teams and the commercial teams together, the faster you create value. Yeah, and 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 you mean talking more broadly then around the insurance space? You mean what 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 are the what are the big challenges you think that the insurance sector are facing right now? And uh, you mean how how does that interlink with your role at Swiss Re? What 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 do you what do you think's kind yeah. of the big th- big ticket things right now for you? Yeah, I mean I think if um, it's like any organisation right now, but more so in our space. You know, if I look at it from an external perspective. You've got the uncertain economic conditions. You know, you've got the geopolitical environment. You've got the Ukraine war. You've got, if you layer on top of that, the whole supply chain crisis, mm-hmm. inflation, energy prices. Every turn you, time you look at the news or you turn a page, um, you're hit with what is going on out there. And then, you know, we've had all the hurricanes recently and more so over the weekend. So those are all the external forces that clearly create challenges for any organization, including ours. But then the thing is, how do you turn that into an opportunity? So looking at it from my job's perspective and my role's perspective is, okay, how do we, you know, having better data, how do we become more predictive around assessing the risks? How do we uh, address it in a more timely way, as opposed to taking, you know, longer to address some of this stuff? How do we move to a place we are more predictive and preventive versus resolving after the event. And underlying that is technology. Yeah, so if I look at my teams, you know, I have the 
our group chief data officer is doing a huge amount of work in this space with his teams. As someone once said to me, you know, cyber security is something that we all have to manage on a day-to-day basis. So that's another focus area. But all of these things, external things, impact the organization that you either have to manage uh, and run or you have to or you can make it into an opportunity and i think that's where the tech comes in yeah amazing so i uh, mean as you know this podcast this series is all about uh women in tech just for this uh, this series so I, I wanted to just talk a little bit about that and the the, the diversity um, piece um i mean I, i'm sure it, look, it's front and center for for everyone at the moment um how to improve that but what's your journey been like as a as a, as a female technology leader has it has it been have you had any bad experiences has it generally been okay i mean what what's it been like for you it's been hard it's been hard but I guess it's been no harder than in any any other industry. I think the thing mm. you find in technology, you know, at one point I ran, I had a team of about 100 engineers, software engineers in one of my teams, and there was only one female person in there. So you put yourself in that position and it, it's all about, it's not just about diversity, it's about inclusion as well. So often where I have only been the one person or one of two or one of three, it's more around how is your how are your differences valued and then, you know, coming together collectively to make something better. So I always look at diversity and inclusion, because I think if you look at diversity on its own, you might hit the number or you might get the right number of that diverse population you're trying to get in to your organization. But then if you don't include them, you're not going to reap the reward of getting that diverse talent in the first place. So my experience has been, I think it's changing industry-wide and, you know, tech industry as a whole. But it's still very male dominated, and I think we've still got some work to do from a global perspective. But what do you? Because I, I totally agree. And and you mean what? What? What do you think is? Uh, you mean I, I don't think there's one. Uh, there's one fix to it, right? But you mean what? What would you say from your experiences are the are the things that that we really need to put front and center to to in order to to actually start making some positive change around that? Yeah, and I think it's. Uh, you're right. It's. And I always look at it, this has been a focus area for many years for many organizations, but we have to become faster at it. Because I think I read a stat somewhere that if if we carry on the pace that we're going at, it's going to take another 300 years to try and sort this out. So it's just not not going to be viable. But I think it starts all the way back at education. You know, I I looked into a study once that said, you know, more and more girls are studying STEM subjects. But when it comes to choosing the career, the girls tend to go off into medicine, and whereas mm. the boys tend to go into more technology things. Interesting. So you get that split. So I think if you if we can start the start it right from the education, and then create you know show people that from studying STEM subjects, you can have a wide and diverse technology career. And what is actually technology about? Because if some people think it's just about sitting there writing like gazillion lines of code. That's not going to be appealing. So then the next step is encouraging people into STEM, but then showing them the purpose of what it can deliver. So I think yeah. that that's one thing. That's I think that would have be the biggest dial turner. But as you said, um, it's a multifaceted uh, challenge that we need to go through. So it's starting at school, then it's getting into careers, then making the whole thing around inclusivity, creating the right environment, and then at every stage of of the life. How do you make it 
acceptable and a place where women can thrive. Is that's a, that's a really interesting point actually because I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago and um, I think that education piece is is kind of gradually getting better. I'm sure it's not at the right right pace and but like you said, people, girls are at school are are studying STEM subjects. But if you don't create a platform for them to then actually go into technology and 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 mm. and that's kind of about the cell, isn't it? What why would you want to do it, and and, exactly. and what's interesting about it, and what what can you actually achieve? It doesn't always have to be a you know always have to write code, right? I mean, it could be there's a yeah. million other jobs in technology. So, do, do you do much of that at Swiss Re? Do you do kind of apprenticeships and things like that? How how, yeah, how have do. you started to try and tackle that? Yeah, I mean at Swiss Re, I mean, there's again it's a multifaceted thing. So everything from supporting code there's, I think there's many organizations which have the title code for girls yeah so how do you create this again it's creating that awareness creating that education bringing in graduates apprenticeships globally from where whichever sites we are bringing people in showing them what we do creating an awareness around what it is that we do um, so there, there's that side of it but then equally once we're in the organization we have mentoring schemes to help people through and leadership training programs around, you know, how do you, you know, people often say, I don't feel included or I, I self-doubt myself. So we have a lot of mentoring programs, a lot of support networks, um, for example, around bringing diversity and inclusion into the workplace, but also how do we engage that whole group? You know, i give you a small example. You know, someone once said to me, when I go into a meeting room, I don't like sitting at the main table. I sit at the back because I, I, I feel as though I'm not being heard. And I said, just try it. Just sit at the main table and see what happens. And they went, wow, it felt different. So I think mm. it goes everywhere. We do a lot of things to encourage and create the right environment for diversity to be able to thrive. Yeah, it's often about the confidence, isn't it? I think that's what the the, the thing that screams out to me from there. Um I wanted to just move it on to just kind of this is uh, often the, the the bit that I get the most feedback from. It's certainly the bit that I get the uh, uh, the bits that I can put on LinkedIn to promote this. And, and if I'm honest, I get loads from it as well. But <laughs> I I get almost almost a bit like a, a leadership coaching for free for me. But um, if there were kind of two or three key things that you would give, it doesn't have to be to to women, but um, but but just to to kind of bud in technology leaders, whether that be really junior people or people who are a step or two away from becoming CIO and really want to get to that point. What what are the kind of two or three things that you've got from your career that you would kind of put up in lights? Yeah, I would say be curious, curious and, in, and inquisitive because, and it's almost like if any of us got kids, they always say, why, why, why? There's a reason. <laughs> yeah. It's that yeah. hunger to learn. So I think that's definitely one part. The other thing I would say is if you are feeling uncomfortable about something, and you've got that feeling in your stomach that says, I'm really scared. I don't know really what, what I want to do. It's the right thing to do. Do it. Yeah. Because that's when you're going to get your biggest growth and your personal growth. The last thing I would say is just be interested. Be interested in people. Because ultimately, whether it's, it doesn't have to be tech, but whether it's tech, whether it's you're building something, you're changing something, or you're working with a team, it's all about people. Yeah. Do you think the people um, side of things, is that where guys and girls in, in, in technology maybe fall down sometimes? Because you, you, you tend to see people who are really great at the tech, but then have uh, kind of either fail to see how it affects the business or how it affects the people that are in the business, which are, I guess kind of the same thing. Do you think that's yeah, a common, be, do you see that one, a lot? 
yeah, it can be one of the pitfalls. Uh, not always, but it can be a pitfall. I mean, wherever I've wherever I've engaged, because technology is such a logical thing, but actually, I think it's quite a creative thing as well. You know, yeah. some some technologies I've worked with over the years, it's a craft. It's the biggest you know artistic thing that they do, but no one ever thinks of it that way. And you know, when you're that passionate and you can be quite dogmatic about it has to be this way for this, this, and this reason. I think a level of pragmatism helps. So I think it's about walking in the other person's shoes and saying, okay, actually, well, why do you need it? What do you want to do it? What do you want to do with this? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then I just look kind of just to finish off this section and we move on to some uh, some some kind of uh, some quick fire questions I always do at the end. But what what's your view on how the insurance sector is going to evolve? Like what where, where do you see, what do you see the kind of the big evolutionary steps that will happen over the next kind of five to 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I think clearly there'll be a great, you know, a continued adoption of more digitization, whether it's from a consumer perspective or from improving its own value chain internally and optimizing. So I think that's probably going to be the biggest thing, you know, five to 10 years in the scheme of things. It's probably not that long as a time frame. So mm-hmm. I think you will just see a speed, more customer centric client centricity and more easy to do business with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um. So I, I mean, I always do a, a bit of a quick fire round at the uh, at the end. The first question I always ask people is, what what is it you love about the insurance and insure tech space? Obviously, you've only been there for five years or so, so you hopefully still in love with it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Absolutely. And it goes back to what I said. I think it's a it's, it has a real purpose. Yeah. You know, it's there. It's the thing that people need in the time of their need, and not not many people realize that. I think that's why it's a it's a real purpose and it's something for the good of people. Yeah, it's it's amazing that I mean insurance does have some negative perception by just everyday people, isn't it? But actually yes. I think people forget that the 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 day that you crash your car or whatever then it they yeah, it does exactly. does protect you uh, and yeah. if it if it wasn't there you would would be in a real uh, real trouble. So the second one is um what what's the one piece of technology you couldn't live without? I think everybody probably says that, but I say my phone. Yeah, iPhone <laughs> I think, or Android? Yeah, yeah, iPhone. iPhone, always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the same. The next one is if if you weren't a, a tech leader, um, what do you think you would be? You would be. I think it would still be something to do with people. Wouldn't have gone so into I history then? No, <laughs> no, I don't think I would have. <laughs> no, 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 I wouldn't have. At one point, I did want to be a head of HR. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so maybe, you know, who knows? But no, I think it was if I maybe if I wasn't in the corporate world, I would like to be I would probably be sort of a travel and a a food critique. With regards to your career, how it evolves, you mean, do do you enjoy the kind of staying at the level you are at the moment? Have you got ambitions to kind of go in further into the kind of C-suite? What what do you think that would look like longer term for you? Yeah, no, I mean, I love what I'm doing. And I've only been in this particular position for nine months. So I'm yeah. I'm content with what I'm doing because there's a, there's still a lot to do. So I know I'm happy with what I'm doing. And uh, next one is who is your number one female role model? It's hard, isn't it? Because there are so many. Can I? I'm gonna I'm gonna combine to one. You could say I'm being opportunistic, um, but and then the other one probably many people say so. Michelle Obama, I would say, is one of them because she's yeah. really grounded and it's just no nonsense person. Just makes things happen. And then I, yeah, I would have great. to say the Queen is the other one because the sheer resilience 
and their longevity and the calm leadership. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. You I mean I think the uh, well, obviously this podcast will be recorded a bit later. But we're recording this on the twenty sixth of September, so it's fairly shortly after the events of the Queen. But it, it really hit home, didn't it? The last uh, last week or so, quite how uh, yeah. how impressive she was. I think we took it for granted a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, and then uh, the last one is, um, what's the best thing about being behind your desk right now? It would be no surprise to you if I was to say the people. I'm incredibly energized with the the teams that we have globally and and our ability to just get stuff done. And the diversity, the inquisitiveness, the curiosity and the sheer innovation and the hardworking. So I think it's actually a privilege to do what I do. And I feel very lucky because working with this, that's where I get my energy. Yeah, but the um the the last thing I always like to talk about is a little bit about um Provina away from work as well. So um t- tell us a bit about the Provina that isn't uh, working at Swiss Re away from work. What what's uh, anything you're particularly into? Family and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, no family. So family when I'm not working and I travel a lot, so then family takes a lot of time. The other part of the time, and like the rest of the world, I got a dog during lockdown. So <laughs> what's that been like? <laughs> It's been interesting. Nobody told me what it was going to be like. No, I was wondering for the first month what we did, but now I love yeah. it. He's brilliant. And then, I mean, I entertain a lot as well and travel. So that's that's where the t- spare time gets taken up. What about, um, so do you travel a lot and predominantly for work at the moment? I guess you have yes. to go to Switzerland yeah, yeah. a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know what you mean about the dog. I'm dog sitting for someone at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's not quite so much fun when it's raining and you've got to go and you've got to go exactly. for a walk because they're going crazy. Exactly. Uh, I think in the summer yeah. it's uh, it's not so bad, but uh, now it's yeah, getting yeah. a bit colder. Well, look, thank you so much for um, for taking some time out to have a, a chat to us. It, it's been really good and uh, some great bits of uh, advice and stuff in there. Um, I'm, I'm sure off the back of this, um, there will be people that want to reach out and connect uh, for various sure. reasons. Um, I won't list all of them. There's been a whole load of examples I, I've been given. But is the best place to get hold of you via, via LinkedIn? And, like, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Way? LinkedIn's the best thing. Yeah, for sure. Great. Everybody, thank you for listening. Um, there's plenty more episodes uh, coming up uh, over the next uh, next few weeks or so. If you want to reach out to Perina, reach out to her via um, LinkedIn. Same for me. And that just leaves us to say thank you and um, and, and thanks for taking some time. We'll, we'll see you again soon. Great. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe. Give us a five-star rating like and a comment and even better please share with your friends and colleagues if you'd like to connect with me you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash mark thomas and the number zero it would be great to hear from you equally if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore it'd be great to hear them too behind the desk is powered by eames consulting part of the eames group you can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com Thanks again for listening and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.